Oh, hello everybody, and welcome to the first hashtag Build to Perform podcast. Uh, this is the first podcast that we've ever actually done, and we're going to be talking to you about all kinds of things relating to building performance and sustainability. And we're going to be coming to you every month, but more about on that later. Who we have here is Sarah Kassam, who is Head of Sustainability Development here at SIPSI, and Matt Snowden, that's me, and I am the Press and PR Exec here at SIPSI too. So uh, the first thing we're going to be talking about this week is actually Green Sky Thinking Week, which was towards the end of April, 25th to the 29th of April. It was a week-long events programme that was held throughout London. So Sarah, what, what was Green Sky Thinking Week mostly about? It's um, organised by Open City, and basically it's about how we can create a sustainable built environment and how we finance it, design it, manage it. And there's about 40 events this year. Um, and the themes which were particularly relevant for SIBSI uh, were urban resilience, green technology and health and wellbeing. So what was the thinking behind Green Sky Thinking Week then? Well, the idea is to be kind of create a space for a collision of ideas, people and activities. Anyone who's working in the built environment, trying to make it more sustainable. And why I really enjoyed it and was glad that SIBSI participated this year was that it was all about collaboration between different disciplines, mm. bringing people together kind of outside of their normal comfort zones. And also it wasn't one of these kind of um, initiatives that's just about thought leadership and these are potential ideas. A lot of it is what's happening now. And it was very much a focus on practical action which I really enjoyed. What, what were the sort of standout highlights for you that you took part in? You um, well, we were really pleased this year. SIPC's Resilient Cities Group did quite a bit. We helped to organise an urban climate walk with Julie Fitcher from Urban Fantastic. Generation, which was really interesting. We did a two-hour walk through um, the square mile, and Julie really pointed out kind of all the features around urban climate. So we were looking at interdependencies between aspects of urban form, so things like the street development and circulation, and then looking at the functions transport and buildings and the urban microclimates that are then created as a result of all those things. Right, because I mean, when I think of the urban climate, I tend to think, well, naturally it's sort of hotter in cities than it is in the countryside. Is there more to it than that? There's definitely more to it because we're not just looking at temperature, you're also looking at things like air quality, looking at wind, looking at light, and some areas might actually be cooler whilst other areas are hotter. So it's very, very complex. And we looked at things like, you know, there's walls of buildings which trap pollution behind them, or people that haven't really just thought about what was going to be around the building. So you've got the Heron Tower with full-length PV integrated, which mm-hmm. is great for generating energy, but then you've got planning permission granted and construction for a building near it that will actually block the light to that building. So actually the generating capacity of the photovoltaics will be greatly reduced. So it's, it's like Fiona Cousins was saying actually at the annual lecture the other month about how we shouldn't see things as necessarily in isolation. It's about treating the whole ecosystem around the building as, as being important. That's exactly it. And that was kind of my key takeaway really from that walk. It was really looking, not having, thinking of buildings as islands. Um, it's really thinking about a building in terms of its local environment and beyond. So there's no point in having a very high performing building with lots of great environmental and sustainability standards when actually the impact it's having on the buildings around it or the space around it, it could be quite negative. So we're really thinking about the right building in the right place and also looking at buildings as part of a whole. Okay, so so I'm a building services engineer. What does that mean to me? How, how do I use this information to, to make better buildings? It's 
being aware, that's the first thing, obviously, um, reading about it. There's plenty of information around, provided through various forums, including obviously all kind of subsidy publications about urban microclimates and the potential effects that buildings could have around kind of key things to be looking out for, which as I mentioned before, you're looking at temperature, light, air quality, wind, acoustics, those kind of things, which is what building services engineers are completely concerned with. Um, but it's also kind of having the confidence to be able to kind of step up and say in a design, you're looking at the fabric as an energy parameter. So I know a lot of building services engineers say this, we'd like to be involved earlier in projects, it can make a real difference. But as John Field said um, in his president's address, it's really kind of being very vocal about it. And I think that's the kind of key thing that building services engineers could do, is to use their knowledge and their awareness to say upfront when they're looking at designs of buildings, think about buildings not in isolation, but as part of the wider environment. So, I mean, as an example of that would be, I guess, Oxford Street, because you've got a classic example of a sort of canyon there created by a big two slabs of grey buildings that go all the way down a big street and it's collecting all the pollution within there yes, and making yeah. people sick. And it's exacerbated by the other issues which maybe building services engineers don't have much control over, such as transport in the locality and mm. so on. So that kind of leads us then onto interesting areas, issues around resilience of buildings and how you adapt buildings to be more resilient to future climates. And that's a whole other podcast, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So one of the other things that you did, I believe, was a design challenge on green infrastructure as a building service. Yes. Um, now, what did that involve? I mean, you presumably must have got some pretty exciting concepts and ideas out of that as well from different people. It was really fantastic. First of all, we organised it in collaboration with a few other organisations. So London South Bank University hosted us, their enterprise centre, and the ARC network helped us to actually plan the workshop and the whole design challenge. So we brought people together and to really talk about the issues of green infrastructure and what is it. Because at the moment, green infrastructure is seen as the kind of external. So you're looking at all the green and blue spaces, trees, rivers, lakes, meadows, fields, how they connect together and the kind of benefits that you get from having a connected landscape. What we were interested in is how can we start to see green infrastructure at a building level as a building service? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at green roofs, internal living walls, external living walls. And actually there's so many interesting kind of effects that planting can have at a building level. So we've got, it can affect heating, cooling, acoustics, air quality, well-being and productivity. There's just so many things, but at the moment that stuff isn't evidenced as well as we'd like. There's not very much data, quantified information on performance mm. of plants as a building service. So the idea of the challenge was to bring together architects, engineers, academics, students, anyone that had an interest to really do some green sky thinking mm. and think creatively about how we used planting to improve that particular building. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, for example, I, I heard about the PDTs for plants thing, which I had never heard of before and I thought was fantastic. And that's an example of that sort of thing, is it's using it as a more sort of a data-driven thing than, than something like, you know, for example, just you know, planting some trees outside, that sort of thing. It's not... it, is, it is really interesting. So we're kind of moving away from green infrastructure just as something that has biodiversity or aesthetic value. It's just there to kind of get a brand tick or things along those lines to attain a particular standard. You're actually looking at it really practically. So for example, can you have an active living wall with fan-driven air filtration? 
or can you look at a green roof um, that will reduce the temperature of that level which means that you've got cooler air moving over your ventilation coils there's some kind of really interesting engineering concepts mm. around this and what we're trying to do is pull that information together so that we actually when our engineers are kind of making an options appraisal they've got some knowledge or evidence on how plants perform because they are quite an unpredictable element mm. they're not as easy as another bit of kit that you'd put in a building you can't say this is exactly how it will perform which is why the idea of doing product data templates as part of bin is so fascinating because then you're looking at really trying to quantify parameters in and really be able to clearly say this is how we think this item performs so is the goal there really to be able to sort of use it almost exactly as a replacement for a building service then uh, so you can say instead of air conditioning in this scenario what we're going to do is replace it with a green roof or something i like don't that. think we could do that what you can do is really look at the interdependencies between plants and other building services and and look at how you can enhance the positive properties mm. of things like living walls and green roofs and how you can use them to enhance the performance of existing building services so if you're looking at making your HVAC more efficient say or you're looking at um, building services creating a positive internal space and the effects of plants on well-being and productivity are starting to be documented so it's really kind of looking at it as something that works in synergy with existing building services so what kind of ideas came out of the workshop then? I understand there was a, there was a sort of workshop that you did on the day. Yes, as part of the um, Green Infrastructure Design Challenge, we had numerous expert speakers from industry and academia kind of give our delegates an introduction to green infrastructure. And some of the things that came out that I particularly stood out for me were often there's organisational barriers kind of upstream of the technical ones. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned there's a bit of a knowledge gap in terms of evidence and kind of technical data on the performance of green infrastructure, but actually just making the case to start with, making the financial and kind of environmental case for incorporating living infrastructure into buildings is quite interesting. Um, Another thing that came out was there's a need for an engineer's guide to plants, Mm. uh, which I thought would be really good. So you find that often living walls and green roofs sit in an area of horticulture, Mm. people might say gardening, um, when actually you need to kind of translate the terminology of that industry into terminology that the engineering industry understands. So we thought a guide to plants, what they do, the right plants in the right space in buildings would be a fantastic idea. And then the third thing that really stood out for me was uh, maintenance. And that's, I think, a big issue for a lot of people who are thinking about uh, green infrastructure in buildings is, like any building service, it needs to be well maintained. Mm. Um, and how do you do that with an item that's possibly a bit more unpredictable than other elements of building services? Like equipment? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to ask that question again. I'm a building services engineer and I haven't really considered having a green roof before or I, I'm already in an existing building, it's just not feasible. What should I do to, to sort of dip my toe into green infrastructure? Oh, well, first of all, um, do some reading. Have a look online. We've actually produced or set up a green infrastructure as a building service task group within SIBSI. So um, my plug would be to join the task group, obviously, <laughs> and you can keep up to date with the latest developments. And uh, what we're trying to do is bring people together from various backgrounds and really try and plug that knowledge gap, really try and come up with that evidence, see what people are doing in different buildings, different types of buildings. You've got lots of engineers who are experimenting with things, lots of academics who are doing research projects. So what I'd say is to join the Green Infrastructure Task Group, get in touch, obviously, if you are interested, and kind of really just start to think creatively 
about living walls and living roofs. So not think of green infrastructure just as trees planted outside, mm. but what they can actually do to make your building perform. Fantastic. I mean, I get the impression it's quite a sort of frontier, uh, up-to-the-minute stuff, so it's going to be improving and changing all the time. So. It is. It's actually really exciting to be involved and actually bringing together people from different industries because it is new. We are looking for more evidence. We are looking at ways to make it easy for practitioners to actually see it as a viable option. So to actually say we can use plants more than just a few pot plants dotted around an office. This is actually a feasible building service. And that's about all we have time for this month, and we'll be back next month with another podcast. You can find Sarah and me either via the SIBC website or via the hashtag build2perform blog. And you can also find that by going onto Twitter and searching hashtag build2perform, and you'll find several plugs for the same thing on the at SIBC Twitter handle. Uh, we'll be discussing, as I say, things to do with building performance and things to do with sustainability. And if you follow the Build2Perform hashtag on Twitter, you will be able to find all the latest updates. So uh, from Sarah and me, it's goodbye for this month. Thanks very much, Matt.